0: If you have your Bibles keystone, you can open up to uh, Genesis again. We're going to be in Genesis 2 18 through 25 uh, this morning as we look uh, at marriage. Uh, if you want to know something of how our culture thinks or, or feels about marriage, uh, one of the places you can look is in the, the greeting card section of any store that you go to. Uh, it's interesting. I, I stopped by Target this week and, and was looking at some of their cards related to marriage. So whether it was uh, a couple getting married or anniversary. And, and here's, here's a couple of the ones I, I came across I thought was interesting that, that I'll share with you. Uh, the first one, i got some pictures of them. The first one is to the future Mr. and Mrs. It's supposed to be given to someone on their wedding day. It says, inside, may you keep discovering new reasons why you're perfect for each other. Congratulations. So, so in some sense, that marriage maybe is about two people being perfect for each other and continuing to find new reasons that they're perfect for each other. Or, or here's another one. It says, never love anyone who treats you like you're ordinary. It's a quote from Oscar Wilde. Uh, and then inside it says, you bring out the best parts of me and make them shine for everyone to see. So you might think, okay, maybe marriage is about someone else bringing out the, the best parts in me uh, for everyone else to see. Uh, or, or this one uh, is, I think, so, one that a couple would give on their first anniversary. It says the first year of marriage obstacle course. Uh, finding, the finding hair in the sink wall climb. Uh, the holidays with the in-laws' swamp of doom. The agreeing on home core, home decor ladder drill. The sharing half of the closet mountain. The, when are you having kids, question hurdles. The trying to pick out a show to watch, long jump. The, what do you want for dinner? I don't know, what do you want for dinner, tightrope. The hiding packages sprint, and the nightly battle over the cover's tug of war. And then says, we, we survived. So maybe marriage is, is about surviving the, the hard things that you have to, to walk through. What, one of my favorite quotes on marriage. That's a quote that, that I think I've shared at, at every Uh, wedding ceremony, I've officiated that, comes from Tim Keller. Uh, I think it's fitting to to quote from him to start out this morning. He he passed away this past week after a three-year battle with cancer. But he says this about marriage. He says, I'm tired of listening to sentimental talks on marriage at weddings, in church, and in Sunday school. Much of what I've heard on the subject has as much depth as a hallmark card. While marriage is many things, it is anything but sentimental. Marriage is glorious, but hard. It's a burning joy and strength, and yet it is also blood, sweat, and tears, humbling defeats, and exhausting victories. No marriage I know more than a few weeks old could be described as a fairy tale come true. I love that quote because I think it captures the wonderful reality of marriage. It's glorious. It's a burning joy and strength and yet it also captures the challenging reality of marriage. It's hard. It's blood, sweat, and tears. Exhausting victories, humbling defeats. We we need to come to marriage with a right understanding of both what marriage is and right expectations for what it will involve. Because if we have a wrong understanding of what it is or wrong expectations for what it will involve, there will be problems for us all along the way. I think of it in this way. If I sign up for a 5K run and I show up to it thinking it's a bike race, it's going to be a problem. Or, or if I go to it and I think I can run this really fast without having any pain, discomfort, or hurt, then I'm going to become disillusioned within the first mile probably and, and give up. Right? We need to have this reality when it comes to marriage that we have right understanding of what it is and right expectations. And Genesis 2:18 through 15, I think, helps gives, uh, give us both of those things. Now now I might say, before we look at that passage, if, if I'm going to compare uh, marriage to running a race, that, then I also might compare speaking about marriage in front of a group of people like running a race through a minefield. Because there are all sorts of emotional minds that could be stepped on this morning as we talk about marriage. I mean, let, let me just ask you, even before I, I mention some when you hear the word marriage, what, what thoughts come to mind and what feelings are stirred up within you? There are probably those who, who have never been married and experience a longing to be married and yet the pain of that longing being unfulfilled. There are others who, who maybe don't have any desire to be married and yet can end up feeling like a second-class citizen in a quote-unquote married world. There are others who've been married married and yet know the deep pain of losing a spouse to to death. There there are others who've had marriages end in divorce and experience the pain and shame that comes along with that. There are others who are married, but but marriage is probably an unhappy reality that feels more like a burden than a joy. And and then there are others who marriage really is a strength and a joy, and yet it's still full of both good days and and really, really difficult days. And, And my hope is that as we look at Genesis 2 18 through 25, it has something to say to everyone, single and married, wherever you are at. And so while I, I'm going to focus on marriage, I'm also hoping to apply what's said in these verses to everyone, whether you're, you're married or not. So, so here's where we're headed this morning with that in mind. As we look at Genesis 2, 18 through 25, we'll see that marriage is a good gift, a lifelong challenge, and a window into a greater reality a good gift, a lifelong challenge, and a window into a greater reality. And, and we'll do this by looking at four things related to marriage. The gift of marriage, the design of marriage, the foundation of marriage, and then the substance of marriage. So let me pray for us, and then we'll read Genesis two eighteen through 25. God, we know that you are powerful. We know that your word is powerful. We know that you are near to us, that your spirit is with us right now. And so we we ask that you would meet us and speak into our lives, into our specific situations, circumstances, especially when it comes to marriage this morning, and that you would ultimately fix our eyes on Christ in the midst of this. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The, the first thing that I think we can see in this passage is, is maybe, maybe the most obvious, that marriage is a gift. It's one way God graciously meets our God-given need for relationships. One way that God graciously meets our God-given need for relationships. Genesis 2.18 has the very first not good of the Bible. Up to this point, everything is good, 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 or very good. And then we come across a not good before sin enters the world. And we're told exactly what's not good by God himself. He says, it is not good that man should be alone. God creates us with a need for relationships. He creates every single one of us with a need for relationships. God, at his very core is relational. Like that, this, this means that ultimate reality in this world, God himself, in his very DNA, is relational because he's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so when he creates humans in his image, then it's woven into our very DNA that we need relationships. J- just as a, a microwave or, or any appliance needs to be plugged into an outlet in order to function, You and I need, desperately need, to be plugged into close relationships in order to thrive and flourish in this world. Like we long to be known and loved by other people. That's the relationship we were designed to have with God, but also the relationship we we need and we're designed to have with with other people. That's why God can say, it's not good that Adam is alone alone even when he lives in paradise and walks with God. And say, no, it's not good. He needs someone else. And we find that God gives the gift that meets the need. God, God is the one who provides for man's relational need when he creates the woman in this passage. Now, let me stop and ask a question. Maybe you wondered this as you read through this passage today or before. Why does, Ad, why does God make Adam wait for his wife? Why doesn't he just create Adam and Eve at the same time? Why does God parade all the animals in front of Adam and Eve, or in front of Adam, sorry, and have him name them? Like, that's not just like an one-hour task. That probably took at least a day, probably multiple days, maybe weeks. Why why is God making Adam wait? I I wonder if that isn't related to a question that we sometimes wrestle with and ask. Why does God make us wait for his good gifts at time in this life? Why why does God make us wait sometimes for marriage, for friendships, for kids, for a job, or any other of his good gifts? Maybe making us wait much longer than we feel like he should. I I wonder if why God made Adam wait and why he makes us wait isn't this fact. Because as he makes us wait, he teaches us then to see those things as what they really are, gifts. Gifts. And that the longer he makes us wait for his good gifts, the more he teaches us to cherish and relish them and and thank him for them because of the time that we've waited and prayed for him to provide in some area of our lives. My son has, in the past year, had this way of responding to receiving some gift. And it can be even like a really small thing. I think one time he got a little misfritter bus bus from cars. And he'll say this in response. It's just what I've always been wanting. That's what Adam says in verse 23. This is just what I've always been wanting. This this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. See, God demonstrates his goodness by providing for our relational needs in this life. And, And while marriage is specifically a gift where God meets our need for close relationships. We don't just find it in marriage. To, to those who, who may be single, and, and you may or may not long to be married, you, you still have the opportunity for close relationships with other people. And, and in fact, by the virtue of you not being married right now, it might open up the way or opportunity for you to have close relationships with more people because you, you're not locked into a spouse right now and have that responsibility. I'm not saying that it's not painful to wait for marriage. That's not all all what I'm saying. And, And maybe just a specific challenge to those who are married. And I'm speaking to myself here. We need to do a better job in the church of incorporating those who are single into our lives and families. Like as the church we should care about everyone's relational needs, not just our own biological family. And and I think that's an area where we really need to pick it up and work on as a church, because we tend to be so focused on the biological family that we forget there are lots of people who don't have that biological family and are craving closeness. And and we might just ask, well, how can we help in that area? Genesis 2 shows us that relationships are a gift that God gives to us. And when we say that marriage in particular as a gift we mean that it's given by god and so it's also designed by god which leads us to the second thing the design of marriage marriage is designed by god to be a complementary union of one man and one woman marriage is designed by god to be a complementary union of one man one woman there's some really important words in that sentence and we'll try to get on them if if marriage is simply a man made institution if it's just something that over time we as humans have come up with, then ultimately we are the ones who define what it is, right? Like if it's just a man-made thing, then ultimately we are the ones who define what it is. So, so either our culture defines what it is, the state defines what it is, or, or I define what it is. If it's just something we came up with. But, but if it is a God-given institution, which is what we believe scripture teaches then God ultimately tells us what marriage is. He designs it and his design is good and meant to help us to flourish. And in Genesis 2, 18 through 25, God is defining marriage for us. In creating marriage, just stop and think about this. God could have made it whatever he wanted it to be. He created it. He could make it whatever he wants it to be. Yet we find in this passage, he says marriage is ultimately between one man and one woman. And so, Our culture or any culture that may attempt to redefine marriage in some way ends up with marriage that isn't ultimately marriage in God's eyes and that goes against his good design and so will lead to problems in the long run because God's design is always good for us and what's best for us and what he wants for us. We, We see in this passage that marriage involves not just a difference in biology but also... A difference in roles in the context of marriage. Did you catch one of the key repeated phrases as we read through this passage? What was one of the key repeated phrases? A helper fit for him. That when God makes woman, He's making a helper fit for man. And we say, "Oh, what does that mean? What does that mean?" Because that can immediately start to rub us the wrong way. So let's just stop and ask, well, "What does the word helper?" mean. It's a word that means strength, especially the strength to supply what is lacking in someone else. That's why it's a word that's most often used of God in the Old Testament. That, that Maybe you're familiar with Psalm 121, where the psalmist says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. It's the exact same word. So so for the Bible to say that God creates woman as a helper is not demeaning in any way. It's saying women supply strength and what is lacking in man, especially in the midst of a marriage relationship. What about that word fit for him, a helper fit for him? It, It means that man and woman are both like each other in the right ways and different and unlike each other in the right ways. Like each other in the right ways, might, some people translate it, like opposites, similar yet different. That man and woman are like each other in the sense that both man and woman are 100% made in the image of God. That means they have equal, fully equal, dignity, value, and worth. And that's where we start. But, but that man and woman are also different. Highlighted by the fact that in the creation account, they're created at different times, in different ways, with different bodies, and given different roles in the context of marriage, and we would also say in, in, the, in the church as we expand out into the rest of scripture. Now why, why does that matter though? Why does that matter? Why should we hit on that and think about that? Because marriage is about complementary mission. Marriage is about complementary mission. That men and women need each other to work towards a common mission in both the biological family and the spiritual family. That if we want to fulfill the creational mandate, multiply, fill the earth, we need men and women. And if we want to make disciples of all nations, we need men and women. It's about a complementary mission going together. And and not just in a general way, but like in a specific way, in, in, in what you've been called to in your own life. I, I, I've been called to be a preacher at this point in my life by God, for however long that is. But, but, what, but the, the reality is as well that my wife plays a massive part in helping me carry out that calling. Look, what, what you see on a Sunday morning is you see me up front speaking to you and preaching. What you don't see, probably none of you see, it is my wife throughout the week strengthening me, supporting me, encouraging me, and helping me in so many different ways. What you don't see is her every Friday night or Saturday morning reading my sermon and then giving me feedback on it so that ultimately what I have on a Sunday morning is better as a result of it because she can tell me, hey Kyle, don't say that, that's dumb. She's kinder than that, don't worry. She hasn't said that yet, but she could at times. Or she goes, hey, have you thought about this? Or maybe I would word this in this way. And then on a Sunday morning, she gets the kids out of bed. She dresses them. She gets them here all by herself so that I can be here. Like that's strength. And that's strength. Mar- marriage is not just about a complementary mission, but it's also about complementary beauty. Th- this is where sometimes people have pointed to even just nature to highlight the beauty of complementarity in the marriage relationship as well. So- stop and think with me. Where are some of the most beautiful sites in the world? Where are some of the most beautiful sites in the world? many of them are at a place where two like opposites meet and come together, often where land and water come together in some way, right? Serene rivers, beautiful lakes, waterfalls, and breathtaking coastlines. Th- this is a picture uh, from Ireland. It's a picture of uh, the Cliffs of Moher famous site in Ireland that people travel to that's on the western shoreline of Ireland. And it's where the water meets the land and creates this, this beautiful picture. There's a type of natural beauty where two like opposites come together. And in the same way, there's an incredible beauty when, when the strengths and roles of man and woman come together and complement each other well. Like there, there is a beauty in a husband who day after day after day seeks to lead, love, and cherish his wife sacrificially. And there is a beauty in a wife who responds with honor, encouragement, support, and helping supply what is lacking in him. That that relationship is more beautiful to God than the most beautiful coastline that we could come across. P- part of the privilege and responsibility is us of the church, especially you if you are married, is not just to defend God's design of marriage, but to uphold a compelling and beautiful picture of what marriage can be in our marriages. It's not just to defend marriage with our words and say, here's what it should be, but in our marriages to give a picture of, here's what it can be. Look at this, albeit very imperfect picture as well. Now now let me just apply this a little bit more to those who are both married and those who are single. For for those who are married, we should lean into the differences we have with our spouse. So often what we try to do is to get our spouse to conform to us, be more like me. God wants us to celebrate and lean into the differences. Maybe, Maybe something this week, just for you to do with your spouse if you're married, is to tell them all the ways you appreciate their role and the ways they're different than you. Whether that's in a conversation or writing them a note, That would be a tremendous gift to your spouse, I think, if you would do that this week. Or or for those who are single, and this includes everyone as well, not just those who are single, but developing relationships with those who are not like you is a gift from God. We we tend to be drawn to people who are just like us, but to be able to have relationships with people who are different, the, the opposite sex, opposite personality, opposite background, maybe opposite ethnicity, Different is a gift from God. And, and this is part of what's meant to be the beauty of the church. That we have relationships with people who are different than us in church and display a type of beauty as a result. Now, now, while part of what can make marriage so beautiful is that we're different than our spouses, you also know that's part of what can make marriage so difficult. And not just that you're different, but also that your spouse and you are a sinner, if we expand out to Genesis three, which is why we need a proper foundation for our marriages. L- let me ask this question. What is a healthy marriage built on? What, I- what is a healthy marriage built on? And I don't just mean like as you start out, as you're kind of at the altar, no, day by day by day. What, I- what is a healthy marriage built on? We- we've got all sorts of faulty foundations in our Western view of marriage. In fact, just imagine with me for a moment, if we retranslated verse 24 to line up with our kind of Western foundation for marriage, what might it say? What might it say instead of what it actually says? Here's Here's what it might say. Therefore, a person will find a perfect match and they will have very strong romantic feelings for each other. There'll be this incredible spark and they will make each other incredibly happy and make each other's dreams come true without ever demanding too much of each other, right? Isn't that, in some ways, some of the expectations we have? Like, they what a perfect match, a strong romantic connection, and, and, and you'll just make my dreams come true. Man, that's a really, really faulty foundation be, because here's the reality. You, you and I never marry the perfect person be, because the person you marry will be different five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road. In many ways, when you stand at the altar, no matter how well you think you know your spouse, you're marrying a stranger. And not only that, you and I are marrying a sinner. Like the Bible says in some ways, you always marry the wrong person. So so we need a better foundation if we're gonna make it in marriage. And romantic feelings, they're always gonna ebb and flow in marriage. Like feelings change day by day. And marriage will demand much of us as, as we're called to love and serve our spouse well. See, from the start, we see the Bible laying a far different and far better foundation for marriage in Genesis 2.24. A foundation that's built on sacrifices, promises, and a radical reorientation. Sacrifices, promises, and a radical reorientation. Th- this verse says, in marriage a man will leave his father and mother. It's the idea of sacrificing close relational ties for the sake of your spouse. But, but it applies not just to sacrificing relational ties, but sacrificing every area of your life. Like sacrificing time, sacrificing energy, money, desires, what you wanna do on Friday night, and what you wanna do on your day off on Saturday for the sake of another person. Marriage is not grounded in what can my spouse do for me. It's grounded in what am I willing to sacrifice for them. From the very start, the Bible says, hey, you wanna have a healthy marriage? Get ready to sacrifice day by day by day by day because that's the foundation that it's going to be built on. And then we see promises. This verse says, the man and woman will hold fast to one another. It's interesting that the same word is used in Isaiah 41:17 or 41.7 and it talks about two metals being welded together. And it's also a, a word that's used throughout the Bible to speak of kind of covenants. It's covenantal language. So, what's it saying? It's saying a man and woman shall be bound together by a covenant where they make promises and then they keep those promises. Here's how John Piper puts it it says, staying married, therefore, is not mainly about staying in love, it's about keeping covenant. Or or another way to think about that is married love is not a love that rides the waves of feelings but that stands on the rock of promises. And, and then we see also a radical reorientation. This verse says the man and woman become one flesh. This is part of why the, the Bible restricts sex to the confines of marriage, be, because it's ultimately the, the expression and seals the, the oneness that's founded upon marriage and the promises we make but but to be one flesh is more than just sex think about what it means it means everywhere where it used to just be me it's now us everywhere where it used to just be mine it's now ours right it, it it's our house it's our kids it's our finances it's our time it's our weekend it's our future. It's our plan. It's like, take me and mine out of the equation because it's no longer just me and, it's us. 1 Corinthians 7.4 is going to apply that even to our bodies, where it says, for the wife does not have authority over her body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Like in marriage, even your body belongs to someone else. And that's radical. The foundation for marriage is that marriage is founded on a covenant to sacrificially love another as yourself. Joy in marriage in particular and relationships in general is always founded on a willingness to be committed to other people and sacrifice for them. In marriage, we we, we base that on a covenant. Outside of marriage, we don't necessarily. But but if you want to have deep relationships, it's always going to require sacrifice and commitment. And on the flip side, if we're not willing to sacrifice, then we'll never have deep relationships, and we'll never have the type of joy that comes from those relationships. If you're a uh, basketball fan, you might remember. If you're not, you probably don't remember at all. You might remember uh, the 2013 NBA Finals. There was something that happened in those finals. Uh, the San Antonio Spurs were playing the Miami Heat, and the San Antonio Spurs were up three games to two, and they were leading by uh, 95 to 92. With only 15 seconds left. They're about to win, about to win the NBA championship. Miami has the ball, and they come down the court, and one of their players takes a shot and misses the shot. And it, it bounces off the rim, and, and another Miami Heat catcher, player catches the rebound with only a couple of seconds left. And in that moment, one of their players, Ray Allen, starts backing up to the corner, to the three point line, without even looking, catches the ball, and as time is expiring, hits this fadeaway shot and goes through the hoop. Now, what you saw in that moment was incredible joy, at least if you're a Miami Heat fan. Incredible joy as they came back to win this game, win the series. Like there the What you didn't see is that there was years, years where Ray Allen practiced, sweated, even bled day by day by day to become the best three-point shooter or one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA. In fact, one of the things he did was every single day he would practice this, where he would lay down, face down on the floor, jump up, and then backpedal back and hit a shot like that, over and over and over and over and over again. When you see a married couple who has joy in their marriage, and they've been, long, they've been married more than maybe a year, who has a joy in their marriage, what you see is the joy and the delight in one another. What you don't see is all the sacrifices all the blood, sweat, and tears that have been poured out over years to be able to have that joy in the midst of marriage. See, true joy in God's economy is always costly. It's always costly. It always requires dying to ourselves. Marriage will provide ample opportunities for us to do that in the context of your relationship with your spouse. Just stop, stop for a moment and think with me. Every single day, there are opportunities for you and I to sacrificially love our spouses. Are we looking for those opportunities? Are are we seeking to continue to build our marriages upon that? Or are we looking and thinking about all the ways we think our spouses should be serving us better and doing more for us? Marriage will provide ample opportunities to sacrifice for the sake of another because marriage was always meant to point to Jesus. And we see he's offered the greatest sacrifice. That's where we see the, the substance of marriage. Marriage is a temporary window into the lasting reality of Christ and the church. As Paul speaks about marriage in Ephesians 5, he quotes Genesis 2.24 and then says this. He says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Do you hear what Paul's saying there? We're, We're maybe so familiar with it that we miss how incredible this is. Paul's saying when God designed marriage in Genesis 2, when he designed human marriage, he always designed it simply to be a picture or a window into a far greater reality, that marriage was never meant to be the point. Rather, Christ was, even in human marriages. My, my, the the white or the house that my wife and I live right live in right now was designed by her grandparents I think like 30 years ago and when they designed it they designed it specifically with a window that looks out the back of the house the purpose of that window was never simply there would be a window there it was that it would open up into this view of the backyard and the fields behind the backyard The the window was never the ultimate point. And no one comes into our house and just kind of stares at the window and says, man, that window looks really, 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 really good. The window was always meant to open up into what was the ultimate point, the beautiful view that's in the backyard. Our marriages were never meant to be the ultimate point, but rather the reality that they open up into. Christ and the church was meant to be the ultimate point. Look, at that means the best married love that you might experience is only a faint reflection of Christ's love for you. That means all the sacrifices God asks you and I to make in marriage is only an echo of the sacrifice Jesus made in going to the cross and laying down his life for us. That means the greatest intimacy in marriage is only a reflection of the type of intimacy Jesus wants with us. See, see, it's in the gospel that we find the substance that the best marriages in this life were always meant to point to. And that's good news, both for the single and for the married. Sam Alberry puts it this way. I want to say this quote and then ask two questions. He says, both marriage and singleness testify to the gospel. Marriage shows us the shape of the gospel in that it models the covenant promises that God has made to us in Christ. Singleness shows us the sufficiency of the gospel because it shows us the reality of what marriage points to, which is our own relationships with Jesus. Let me ask, first of all, to the single, what can help you live as a single in the midst of a world dominated by marriage at times? You, you experience the, the pain of desiring marriage, or, or, or the pain of, of feeling like you are a second-class citizen at times, or, or the pain of having seen a marriage fail and, and the shame that comes, or the pain of having lost a spouse who was so sweet to you. And I don't want to gloss over that pain in any way. That pain is real, And, and marriage or lack of marriage in a broken world will always at times be a source of pain. Yet yet I would also invite you to consider the gospel is good news in the midst of singleness. Because it, it, it means that you might actually experience more of the reality marriage was always meant to point to than those who are married. Because you don't have someone like a spouse to rely on, to lean on, to run to, and to love you. And so in the midst of pain and hurt, you might actually be opened up to receive more of Christ's grace and love for you as you have to rely on him like the ultimate spouse who cares for you. I want to just recommend a a book here. It's called Jesus, Lover of My Soul. And I think it captures how Jesus' love is better than the best love, the best spouse can offer. That it's so much better. And I think it's a powerful book for anyone, but but maybe especially for those who are single and and don't have a spouse in this life. Let me ask a second question, then, to the married couple. What would make your marriage better? Right now, what would make your marriage better? I bet we all have an answer to that question. If my spouse were more understanding and supportive of me, if we had more sex, if we didn't disagree on finances so often, if we didn't have young kids in the house, if we had more common interests, those are all just ways of focusing on the window. When in reality, what you and I need is to be able to focus on the reality that the window was always meant to point us to and to immerse ourselves in that. Like immerse yourself in the gospel where we recognize our own sinfulness and yet God's continual grace being poured out on us. Immerse yourself in the gospel and see the beauty of Jesus laying down his life for you and for me, though we don't deserve it one bit. Immerse yourself in the gospel and see how God remains committed to us and to our good, though we give him reasons every single day to pull back from that commitment. Like, immerse yourself in the gospel and see how even as you are faithless and wonder, God remains faithful to pursue you in love immerse yourself in the gospel and hear how God meets all the ways that we blow it, not with accusation, but with a therefore there is now no condemnation. See, what would make your marriage better? To immerse yourself in the gospel, to know what Christ has done for you and what he continues to do for you, and as you do and I do, that we might become more and more transformed into spouses who reflect the ultimate spouse. The gospel is really good news for the single and for the married because it shows us Christ is enough whether we are single or married. Let me pray for us. Father, we praise you for the gift of marriage. That's what we believe it is. We believe it's a tremendous gift from a good God who loves to provide for us. And we recognize that that sometimes you provide for our relationships in marriage and sometimes you provide in other ways. But God, more than that, we praise you for the reality marriage was always meant to point to. A Savior who loves his bride and his people so much that he would humble himself, becoming one of us, to go to a cross, to suffer and die in our place, so that one day we might be reunited with him forever. God, I pray that in marriage, we would reflect the beauty of Christ and the church. And I pray that wherever we're at in marriage, whether we think marriage is great or we think this is impossible, we might look to Christ, call out to him for help and strength and grace And God, that you would pour out fresh grace on us to be spouses who reflect Christ as the ultimate spouse. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.